This is Shaco Art Speak. All right, we're back. Shaco Art up? Speak. We got Cody Spice here. That's right. We got Dr. Smack Smell. <laughs> Smack Smell. Leaving, leaving the snacks well. Yes. Boom, right? Sure. I mean, if we yep. were rapping and that was our, um, yeah, that would yeah, be yeah. it, dude. I mean, that would start it. If we were going to introduce a rap song, that's how you would come on. And then we would, you would pass the mic afterwards. Yes. And we would pass the mic to the soft grappler. Yes, we would. Who's the soft Which grappler? Which is me, apparently. <laughs> Wait. Okay, for all this out there, uh, Ryan, who's me? Um, we get to welcome Sam Taylor to the podcast. Sam is not Sam or Samantha. Sam. I know. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to see you that grimace face. a little bit. Yeah, make that face. So Sam is a part of the core Shaco Art Space team. Mm -hmm. Sam has been around for several years now, many yes. years. Mm -hmm. So both as a person. Yes. And as part of the Sam's team. Sam's been alive for yes. a while and yes. in a part of the team and has exhibited with us, has written for us and is once we kind of get things going again, the assistant curator uh, for, for Shaco Art Space. So, so Sam is a um, multi-talented person and it's long overdue. So welcome Sam, the Thank soft you. grappler. Sam identified herself jokingly as someone who doesn't debate in a big context with many people, but rather intimately soft grapple with just one person. And I said, you have just given birth to your nickname. Yep upon entering into this podcast space. Congratulations. And there's no way around it. Like Cody had no choice over Cody Spice. That's true. And that's how I know it's real because I have absolutely no buy-in or approval of this at all. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a feeling. It's a that's, feeling to have, isn't yeah. it? I mean, I'm not gonna, <laughs> it's like being born again. I didn't yeah. consent to that either. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I feel like she just soft grappled you. There you go. See, and now, now it has Gareth's stamp of approval. Dr. Snacks. And he's a doctor. And he's, he's a doctor. Right. And now between the two of you, I've been outnumbered. Yes, exactly. And Cody is, <laughs> Secretly agrees with us. I was like, Cody is Cody's uh, just glad not to be the only person. Cody's with a bad nickname. <laughs> yeah, with a bad nickname. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Affliction cool. and Oppression. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. So, I mean, when you come to this podcast and you're, you, you are a part of the team, it's going to happen. It's just that you gave it and it's too perfect. Yeah. Because I have soft really grappled well. with you before. Yes, that's yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> In a good way. You yeah, know, metaphorically. Metaphorically speaking, like yes. around intense philosophical or artistic ideas, we sneakily agree and then we will sneakily maybe disagree <laughs> or Sam will sneakily rebuke me on where I'm off. In the way that you're like, wait, wait, what are you saying, Sam? The wonderful outcome of that is I still don't know who actually won. That's exactly right. Yes. Which yeah. is true discourse, isn't it? <laughs> I think that's true discourse. Yes. It means that the conversation is open. Yes, it is. And that's what we, that's what this is about. That's what yeah, this yeah. podcast is about. Mm -hmm. And so you may be listening and wondering why, why Sam today? Why not Sam, you know, 10 years ago? Well, the podcast didn't exist 10 years ago. Yeah. Silly question. So there's a good Silly reason question. for that. Yeah. So there's a good reason for that. But um, because we've been having a lot of great conversations behind the scene for a long time. And mm -hmm. so we've wanted to slowly build in, uh, members of our team uh, to continue to expand the conversation. So I know several folks have shared how much they enjoy Cody's uh, time on the podcast. And I have told people there's more where that came from. Yeah. So today we are sharing a little more with you of our fantastic team uh, who all love and care and work and labor over um, just doing everything that we talk about doing in the arts from, from mm -hmm. being makers, which Sam is a fantastic painter, absolutely maker, 
sculptor even a little bit in there, you know, like when it, when it feels right for the work and incredible thinker, uh, very, uh, intensely wonderful thinker mm-hmm. and, um, excellent writer. And so, uh, so we are honored to have you here today, Sam. Thank you for, for being here. Thank so you for what having are, me. Yeah. So what are we going to be talking about today? So I, we, you proposed <clears throat> me coming on a s- sort of web of concepts, homemaking, hospitality, placemaking and art making. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of ways that we could slice that conversation. So, I mean, so he mentioned um, my position or my training and activity as like an artist, writer, um, philosopher, philosopher, et cetera. That's there. And, but then most of my energy at this point in time, and which is part of the conversations that we've been having is um, being a homemaker at home. So I've got one small child and another one coming almost anytime. So that's necessarily takes a lot of, so there's two of you here today with us. Yes. There's two, yes. not me here today, but yes. two people here. In that's me. right. Not two of you, but there's two people here today. Yes. Yes. Um, so that takes up a lot of time and headspace, but that's not to say that that headspace is remotely divorced from the headspace of all of those other things. Yeah, so that's, yeah, so that's yeah. the conversation. It's the intersection, which can be sliced up several ways. You can think of um, actual art artifacts um, in homemaking and hospitable spaces, which is a collecting conversation. That's mm-hmm. like tremendous. Um, there's also reflecting on what, um, what homemaking, what hospitality are um, in relation to what art making is, how much in common there is. And then there's also conceptualizing um, how to uh, make your spaces artfully and conversely how to um, be hospitable with your art making. Mm. So that, I think that that's when I was yeah. thinking about that's that's the, that's the full web. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where do we, uh, I feel that last... Yeah. Last bit, it was, I don't know if that's yes. an inverts the conversation to start there, but that last bit feels like a pretty juicy place to start. Juicy. It does. What do you think? Oh, I agree. Okay. Let's start there. Probably relevant to most. most yeah. Listeners as so well. let's, let's, let's go back. So what do we got again? We got, um, uh, art making to make spaces hospitable. Mm-hmm. So how, how art objects discrete art objects relate in making spaces hospitable. Right. How to artfully enact hospitality, mm-hmm. which does not necessarily have to do with art objects. That's right. Um, and then there's hospitably making work. Yes. For yes. your audience. That's interesting. Yes. All right. So, so for me, all this stuff's intriguing. And I love these conversations because um, I have a home. Yeah. And I like having people in it. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. But I think um, one place we got to start with this in the conversation is we got to we got to talk about what the heck hospitality even means, because I hear that. And, you know, my mind goes in a couple different directions with it. Right. Uh, so I might think of uh, like I went to college and they had a program which was like hospitality management. And that meant that people went and ran hotels or restaurants or yeah. became like cruise ship directors. Right. Um, yeah. But then call. there's like hospitality and it's uh one of those things where people are like oh you're kind of like a person who just is a hospitable person people like being around you um but it doesn't feel like any of those sort of ideas kind of have a totality to it or really hit the whole concept so what 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 do we even mean by hospitality so very broadly it's going to have to be um 
opening up space that is others oriented in an open ended way. Mm. Right. So and I'm often going to ground things in homemaking because that's like, congratulations, you have a home. I'm very mm. happy about that. Um, a lot of us are blessed with that. Um, so that's, that's a good starting place to, to ground, to ground this. Oh, yeah. Um, you in owning a home or having one or inhabiting a space, um, you need to make it habitable, um, as a baseline. So anyone can exist in it, namely yourself. Um, but then hospitality is that next step, which, um, signals some kind of an abundance and openness to make something that's not only a place that you can exist, but that actually makes it so other people want to exist there. Um, and therefore is like extensive extend extends welcome, um, and invitation and enrichment, um, to people that you may anticipate as your neighbors or your family or whoever other than you is coming into that space. Yeah. And I would throw in, I would throw into that a kind of, a, um, intimacy in the sense of prox, a proximal intimacy in, in the sense of an invitation. So like when you come into a, which kind of, um, is to drive what you're saying further away from a kind of generic uh, yeah, yeah. thing that you were hitting at Gareth that we, we sometimes think about, you know, where you're like hospitality for a cruise ship. So th that can carry the hallmarks that you're talking about here, but oftentimes it's, it's got a different agenda a little bit. And yeah. so I think the kind of hospitality that you're talking about as a deep grounding, uh, can, can be, uh, profoundly invitational and open to anyone and, and, you know, not magically, but magically, uh, allow for intimate, embedding in that space of another. Embedding uh, is a good word too, because with, even as we throw around these words like open-endedness and otherness, it's not unbounded possibility because by the fact of you setting the terms and setting a space for hospitality, it actually is um, made open-ended or made hospitable by being um, extremely specific, extremely mm -hmm. particular um, and limited both limited and making other things possible by what you actually what you actualize yeah so what? some things are unactualized but many things and this is what the uh, making part is is an actualization of something mm -hmm. that still anticipates mm -hmm. more things happening right so well there's a oh go ahead i was just gonna say it kind of makes me think like if i had to sort of linguistically split it out say there's open-endedness and then there's something that is open to certain ends and so hospitality has this idea that we are trying to make a space that is open to certain ends, which is that sort of relational intimacy and certain types of possibilities. Not that we're trying to make a space that is endlessly open to anything happening because like I'm trying to make a hospitable house, I'm probably not trying to make it um, a Kmart. Right. If I'm serving you That's a fair. meal, how many billions of other meals am I not serving you? Exactly. That's but right. you still want to eat. So I got to make something. Mm -hmm. And you have to have that vision of if you're making a space that is open, but it is open towards certain ends, you have to start defining what those ends are. What do you hope to accomplish within the space that you're creating hospitable? Right, right. No, I think I, I think that gets back to the conversations we've had too, that just to kind of, and I'm forgetting which episode it is in, but we've talked about how constraints are, are actually yeah. uh, enablers of, of a kind of a, a freedom of creativity or, or makerliness or... Um, that, that constraints are actually part and parcel to being able to solve problems and make things. Mm -hmm. And so, so to have it not being um, endlessly open-ended is to say that uh, the working constraints of your given state of affairs 
is the place to start when enacting what Sam, I think you're putting forward. Right. Like another concrete example is like my house only has so much square footage on the walls, mm. but I do need to have walls to be able to hang anything, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hang, hang the art that what, what you will actually be able to see when you come into my home. Yeah. 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 So let's keep going with this. So, so we've got kind of a big picture on hospitality right now. I think we feel, we feel good about, mm-hmm. you feel good. You want to add anything to that, Sam? No, I think that's good. Okay. So if that's, so then if you're if we're talking about placemaking as, um, well, that the arts are hospitable, I can't, I can't, um, it's like, I need more coffee today, man. I cannot remember <laughs> Cody, somebody help me. The definition that Sam laid out in the beginning. It was, um, I'm just not going to be able to say it. Hospitality is opening up space for others to enter into. The arts is hospitable. So we've got to. So the arts is hospitable. We're going to pull some things that we've said already. Yeah. And pin them on the arts rather than just like our house or whatever else. Yeah. Um, Then at least we know that um, if the arts are going to be open-ended, open to the other. um, We've talked, I think, before about uh, how making anything uh, communicative assumes an audience. So we're, so in some way, however large or small, we are making for other people in addition to ourselves. As um, so we have an audience, we have a particular audience um, and making something again uh, entails a particular, uh, a particular object or a particular action, a discrete mm-hmm. um, thing that we're making that actually opens up those possibilities. Yeah, because of the because of its discreteness, right? Yeah, so that so when you think about, I guess when I think about this, it's not. I'm not saying decorative arts or not decorative arts, not at all. So I'm not not saying one or the other in that sense. Um, it, but the specificity of the given thing that's been discreetly made, it, you, you've you when you fork when you choose color, paint, material, whatever it is, you foreclose on other possibilities right. always, right? So because that happens, that means that uh, there's a narrowing of a kind uh, that brings about um, whatever uh, space impacting or opening possibility there is. Mm-hmm. It, like what does the work do is what I, the way I always say, like what's it do? And then once you understand what it does, then then there's then it gets into the conversation of fittingness in the context of the mm-hmm. the habitable space. So there's a habitable space, there's the kind of habitable, habitable space that is in a work of art. In some works of art, like I'm making a piece that's not really meant to be habitable. Mm-hmm. It's actually meant to make you feel tossed out mm-hmm. or or not really invited except for a couple spaces, like mm-hmm. where where it's, to, to commit is to commit to a tough occasion. Um, and then there's some where, where it's utterly meant for you to almost just um, stare at the way you would stare at a wall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's fair. Um, actually, as a helpful uh, admission for what hospitality is and isn't, um, and again, especially when we're talking about homemaking, it, the, ten, the temptation is to hyper instrumentalize it and also hyper sentimentalize it as right. the only um, the only open-ended outcome that we're angling for is just coziness mm. and sweet feelings as if that's the only thing that we should reasonably expect to happen in our homes and yeah. relationally with the people who are in them so mm-hmm. this is not just a place for relaxation refreshment though that that's like helpful and primary but mm-hmm. also there are moments for confrontation there are moments for reconciliation and all mm-hmm. the tensions implied therein yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, um, you think about, uh, you could call it topsy turvy or you could call it sort of, uh, 
many epicenters for uh, society building. Mm -hmm. And so when, when people are intimately welcomed into a, a home as a society building center, um, that, you know, I was just talking with someone else about this, uh, raising kids, I was saying that, and I don't know if I could parse it out the same way for this podcast, but, um, you know, I, I think of, I'll give like three simple categories that I think are helpful. And so one of our favorite authors, Cal Surville, talks about aesthetic obedience, like this idea that there's an aesthetic reality steward towards, um, he says more than this, but let's just say for right now, for sake of conversation towards positive ends mm -hmm. or towards humanized ends. That's not his full point. It goes further than that, but I'll just leave it there for the sake of our audience in this conversation. So that's a whole thing that has to be unpacked. But what that means in a certain kind of way is this, um, like in, in the home you have, let's say you have parents that have children and what they do is the temptation for us sometimes is to life stage our home. hundred mm percent. -hmm. Um, and so what happens is baby proofing means there you eliminate the don't touches from the home. Mm -hmm. So what happens is the baby lives in a, a safe space that never causes them to learn to be responsible with the temptation to look and to follow with touch. So, so I always say, so I say we have, you know, minimum, you want to have things in the home that are do not touches, but are nice to look at mm -hmm. that are, that are valuable because mm -hmm. that matters. Then you want to have things that are touch on occasion, mm -hmm. things, things that have specific usage and not, uh, for other usages. And then you want to have um, space and things that can kind of be interacted with in a topsy-turvy sort of way. And that's just three simple categories. It's more nuanced than that. But if you have all three present all the time, then you can disciple or you can lead your child into aesthetic obedience in a way that, uh, what I mean by an obedience sounds like a horrible word, but it, it means that you're honoring what's in front of you in, in a full orb sense. And you, what you get is o over time, a productive citizen who knows how to make decisions in recognition of what something is, mm -hmm. what it can do, what it should do, what is for touching, what is for not touching, what is for interacting with. And I'm using touch sounds very narrow, but I mean this, I mean more than even touch, Yeah. but you know, so when, so when you look at the thing that's made of porcelain, it really matters. And it's, it's a lineage heirloom, family heirloom piece. Mm -hmm. And you know that, and you've been told that, and you, you, as a kid, you grow into an understanding of that. That's an, that's an interesting experience with time and legacy and preciousness of object. This cannot be replaced. Yeah. Don't touch it. Mm -hmm. That, that can activate your body and your mind to think very specifically that's because, like, because it, because it, it's, it's either true or it's not. Mm -hmm. And you have to have real skin in the game. You have to be willing for that to get broken. Like you have to fight hard that it doesn't, but in, but, but you don't want to make a space in the opposite where everything is don't touch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So there's an ordering orderliness that frees people to meaningful experiences that are variegated and diversified. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm saying that with regards to kids, but I'm also saying that is a society building physiologically or physical or phenomenological experience that if you dwell in constantly, you start to learn and um, maybe become good stewards of um, the space outside of your home as you grow up. Yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna think, so would you say then that there's, you know, because if we think about hospitality as an effect, mm -hmm. you mentioned that not everything's hospitable, mm -hmm. um, that 
if we're thinking about the the making side of things that you might make certain things that would fall into maybe a don't touch category mm-hmm. i.e this thing is not designed to be hospitable to my touch for mm-hmm. example which means if i'm understanding that properly it's going to push me away towards other things that may be designed to be hospitable mm-hmm. so then within a space an active space you have different objects and i use that term loosely because I'm not really talking about objects exclusively, but within a space you have objects that may be more or less hospitable in how they invite interaction. Mm-hmm. And if it's done properly, then there may be some things that are properly not meant to be interacted with that then sort of push you back over into other areas and objects that are meant to be interacted with, thereby creating a larger sort of ecosystem space mm-hmm. that is helping you navigate through properly according to the nature of the objects and whether or not these things are more or less hospitable. Maybe, yeah. And I, I, again, would bound out the uh, edges of hospitality to not like what's more pleasing, what's not, which I yeah. think- That's why I think the idea of A different like, type of invitation, I think, is what you're describing. Yeah. Rather, so um, I can invite all of my neighbors over to my house for a gigantic, just random celebration. And that's the Tony event, the purpose of the event. Everyone's supposed to be there. Um, on one end, uh, or I can host a dinner party with a couple different people, um, who need to come over to my house and I need to create a space and, um, extend an invitation specifically perhaps to have a difficult conversation with an in-law or something. Yeah. There's still hospitality at play and there has to be, otherwise one of those, uh, interactions is, is hateful or unproductive or dehumanizing, um, but maybe that's a better picture rather like some different art pieces might extend a different kind of invitation or different kind of relational gesture. Yeah. So like, so like when I said that, uh, like that one of the paintings I'm working on is tough to enter into, that's not a, um, a lack of invitation. It's, it's a way of saying, if you enter into this, you're invited, but on the terms of this work. And so it's not going to be an easy look. So hospitality is a, word that we're using to define the quality of a thing's openness to access and then the nature of the thing will have certain phenomenological properties that means once access is obtained you will have a different type of experience based on the type of thing that you've accessed and then if you start to compose the space itself then it becomes a more than an ensemble but it it starts uh, things start to operate so give you an example i have like this uh piece that i found on the street of this man praying with a piece of bread. It's a famous mass produced thing, a cup, cup of coffee, man's praying like a priest or an mm-hmm. old older gentleman. And it's got this really warm wood frame. And turns out that was like something Laura grew up with in her home. So there was like this weird connection there. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, we put it in a room. What's interesting is I don't have a lot of warmly wood framed things in my house, but um, it's in an intimate place. And so there becomes um, intimate associations with the aesthetic of the wood and the image. Mm -hmm. That intimacy tracks with the aesthetic in the wood of my dinner table. So anybody who's intimate in that space, you start to make um, enjoining connections. And it's interesting that that image is of a man at a table preparing a meal or getting ready, giving thanks before he eats this, this simple meal. And so like, if you, if you allow it, if you participate, you will be, enriched in both directions Mm -hmm. when you sit at the table and when you look at the image and they will mutually inform each other 
Yeah, in ways that are also not predetermined, which is part yeah. of that open-endedness that comes by just uh, taking the step to commit to a particularity. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of antiques in my home as mm -hmm. well. Some heirlooms, some thrifted. I have a lot of contemporary art. So, I mean, I've got this old couch from my grandmother with the kind with like the wood carved back and all of that. And it has this kind of uh, green plaid sort of pattern. I've hung um, a painting I bought from you next to it, mm -hmm. a hard edged ge geometric painting. Mm -hmm. And then lo and behold, the like the colors and the, especially the, 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 the plaid sort of pattern end up talking to one another. Mm -hmm. So uh, you're sitting in the room and whether you're talking about it or looking at it or making a conversation piece or not, it's informing this entire sense of both a rootedness and tradition mm -hmm. and a trajectory like through modern art and decorative art all at the same time, mm -hmm. um, which was not predetermined. I didn't put it there because I knew that would happen. It's yeah. a matter of discovery. Yeah. And then it, and it has a kind of fittingness to it. It kind of right. works and that, that kind of lends itself to an energy. So it's not like, a, a, um, we're, I guess, I guess I can imagine if someone were listening, they're thinking of a meticulous curation of your space and an overwhelming preemptive thinking about your space. Mm -hmm. And I would say the posture of hospitality flows from the heart of the people living in the space as a starting point. And in that kind of overflow moves into the general curation of things and a lot of the choices that are made before things ever enter into the space. And, and then it becomes a kind of formal logic that uh, is played with, uh, you know, I've been telling my kids that play is fun learning as um, a way of adding a little bit more to their understanding of play. So I call it, I keep telling them like play is for fun learning. So, um, and so in the coming together of your home, uh, at a particular juncture when it's coming together is, um, is to, to do some play, some fun learning. And in that discovery happens, right? So then all of a sudden, Oh, grandma's couch in this, you know, this contemporary kind of modern painting, uh, are fitted in such a way that they kind of riff on each other. Mm -hmm. And in that, that's a, uh, there's a kind of, there's a way that aesthetics work, uh, passively, to a viewer, um, but are working nonetheless and are available to tune up to anyone who wants to, mm -hmm. but they're never not working is right. the point I want to make. They're just working passively. So if I go to Gareth's house, Gareth has a lot of stuff that he's made like furniture pieces. Mm -hmm. And so they, there's particular edges, particular, um, exposed material that creates, um, continuities and rhythms in the house. And so it sets up a rhythm. It actually set like patterns and rhythms. If you're open, build expectation into your thinking, into your mind, mm -hmm. even in a passive intuitive level. So then what happens is when I move in Gareth's house, there's a continuity that uh, my expectation is met with the continuity. So, so continuity in someone's home can dig deep into the back of their thinking and become a strong part of the association you have with the person. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, with the state of affairs of that home, that's a real effect. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So your home then in all these ways that you may or may not be thinking well or not, but whatever, however much you've thought about it or recognized of what your your choices have done, they do yield an outcome. Um, ref making reflections on you, um, the haptic ed education that you're um, providing for whoever uh, is, is uh, dwelling with you. Um, and I guess those qualities are 
invitational to certain degrees or not, mm. or they close down on being able to have certain conversations or not. Um, and that applies to any kind of characterized space, especially appropriated spaces. I'm thinking of ones that, you know, where you've evacuated yourself <laughs> as much as possible completely and have just tried to do just buy everything that Target sells you or Ikea yeah. or whatever else. Yeah. Or you're the grandma's house who just tries to like hang kittens on mm -hmm. the wall, right? And just try to make it a very happy, sweet space. Like yeah. This is a very difficult <laughs> image in my mind when I yeah. hang kittens. Yeah. Hanging, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. hospitable images. That's, yeah. that's a different grandma. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's a very scary grandma. Yeah. That's not the grandma I want to be around. No. There's like crazy cat lady grandma and she's got a lot of cats. And then yeah. there's what you're describing. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, I say it's interesting because like you can either be an artist or not like yep. professionally, um, but you can't escape the trappings of whatever your placemaking practices do, mm -hmm. um, which is, which is, which is, uh, I don't know. It, it, it checks you towards that end of aesthetic obedience mm -hmm. that you mentioned. Like there are consequences, um, to not being aware. Yeah. yeah I, I like that. The, uh, that like placemaking is always happening, right? Whether or not you're actively involved in it or not. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, you're making places, uh, whether you're active or abdicating. Yeah. Um, which I think is, is fair. You know, you, you think of, uh, kind of the stereotypes of, of folks in college, and you're like, oh, my first apartment. And it was like all like cinder blocks and like found furniture and mm -hmm. no curtains <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. You're like this is the place that I'm making and I'm making it kind of through happenstance mm -hmm. um, or, or, or I'm making it through the lack that I have at the moment or whatever it is. Um, but that place is still being made. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's also some of the placemaking – that is so intriguing to me, which is you cannot separate placemaking from the people. Mm -hmm. um, so you could, you know, and in contemporary conversations about art, we can, we can like wrench away the work from the person and we can say, this is so different. It has no involvement with them, even though we know it does. Mm -hmm. But with something like placemaking, you can't do that. And when you try to, yeah, you're going to have some strange things happen. It won't feel it won't feel authentic and it won't feel habitable. It won't right? feel relational, which yeah, I mean, yeah, again, yeah. we talked about placemaking and art making mm -hmm. the whole enterprise falls apart. If we forget the relational function. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think, yeah, with, with all of that, like the relational aspect of it, some people could, could say, Oh, well, well, you know, my space, I don't, uh, I, I don't, do anything with it. I've actually just kind of farmed it out to somebody who does that as a living mm -hmm. because, uh, what you're talking about, that's just kind of an aesthetic treatment, right? Like I'm aesthetic. This is just icing on the cake. Right? Yeah. And it's like, but, but this, but this is more than like uh, an interior design or interior decoration. This is a, this is an intentional relationship building through, it could be through physical ornamentation. It could be through other things, but it's also going to be just largely about creating spaces where relationships can actually happen, whatever those relationships are. Right. Yeah. Relationships, relationship where relationships can happen and values are, um, are upheld or communicated well or not. Um, which again, I think gets into that communicative aspect of, of, of our art. Um, you know, if I, so for instance, like if your home, just is, you, it's fairly assumed, um, and you set it up in ways that 
you seen every other home set up and uh, you just you, you get the large flat screen TV that's the center um, of your living space. And so, uh, you know, the first thing that anyone sees and presumably does when they come into your space is, OK, this is what we do. This is what we're about. We're we sit down and we consume something else um, to the neglect of actually any handmade or mm -hmm. personable objects anywhere. Mm -hmm. And it, as an example of how like that's, that's not neutral. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, no, it says a lot in, in no judgment per se, just recognition. Like, right. like people get, we, here's the, here's the interesting thing. Like we get this, we just, you know, get it to varying degrees. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it's compartment, a lot of things are compartmentalized for us. So we were like, Oh, that's right. That's connected. Cause you know, when I go to a, a, a certain level of restaurant, mm -hmm. The music's lower, the lighting's lower, and they're not in a rush for you to leave. Yeah. That's a, a holistic economy of spending, food, uh, social expectation, person coming in, whomever, right? Like if it's, if it's operating well as, as a contained system, uh, all these facets are playing together. And so there's the aesthetic obedience piece, which in, in a way, right, is, is to say that well, the fittingness is, is um, uh, the plates and the like all the stuff kind of has a uh, fully integrated. Yeah, it's fully integrated. It has a harmony or a, a an interior harmony that is working itself out. And if something is dislocated, you'll notice it because the rest of the inner harmony is working. And so you'll say, "Hey, the wait the waiter uh, hasn't bathed in a couple of days, and it's offensive." Um, but if I'm in like a sweaty burger shop, and the waiter comes up and they're a little sweaty. And it's in a you know a, a you know a particular kind of part of town like maybe beach, beach town you know yeah, place yeah. you know bunch of young mm -hmm. folks man I'm not tripping on that because I'm not aesthetically that's not even in the realm of dis, that's not disjunctive actually mm -hmm. not really so um, when something so I mean we we get this like when you set your plate your table uh, you know and it's paper plates you tend to throw them why well it's because they lend themselves to being tossed casually that's in the weight and the, the, the non-preciousness of the plate. But if you've put some money on that plate and they got some weight to them, you set them down differently. That's aesthetic play. That's, that's aesthetic obedience. It's, that's, uh, I'm working with what this is to such an extent that it makes this sound, not that. It holds this space, not that. Yeah. And so all we're really doing is, I mean, and I think that's what you're kind of bringing out, Sam, is like, that's why we want to have this conversation in a way. It's like, because if um, it's worth thinking about this, we've, we've stopped thinking about it for a lot of us. And I think artists often think about their work in the white cube. Mm -hmm. I think that's a temptation for us, for me, yeah. is to only think in those spaces. Yeah. And I think we've been on this journey of thinking like about art um, in a significant way, well outside of the white cube. Yeah, I think, you know, what it makes me think of is that um, we have tried so hard to interject a false reality of neutrality mm -hmm. into everything. Yeah, that that we we are here in an inert world that has no uh, no value, mm -hmm. no purpose. Um, that it is here, we can use it or not use it as we please. Um, we can be kind of callous about it and uh, just kind of stumble through it or bullnose through it. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, that neutrality is a, a gigantic lie because mm -hmm. it is there, there are things that like you're talking about with uh, placemaking or homemaking that is it's constantly being produced. Mm -hmm. The neutrality is constantly 
like being exposed to us as a lie mm -hmm. and we have to keep kind of perpetuating this false conversation in order yeah. to prop up that lie. Of yeah, neutrality. yeah. The neutrality, the, the propping up of neutrality. I mean, um, just to just to throw one dart at that, like I I totally agree, Gareth, and like what we're seeing is the failure of neutrality right now in our culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you mentioned White Cube as the mythical place of neutrality where we assume that the deepest and most penetrating and most relational meaning of our work plays out. Um, let's push that one step further in, in time, right? Like what about, okay, how does this conversation uh, inform my art making practice at all <laughs> in a time where we're not even putting our work in white cubes, we're putting our work online. Mm. And we've also shipped most of our relational activity online. These are mm. placeless places. What's the point, Ryan? Oh, I don't know, Sam. Why you got to ask these questions? Sam, why, you gotta, why are you asking me? You're our guest. You tell <laughs> yeah. us. Yeah. We brought you we, in for the we ask the questions here. That. Soft yeah. grappler. Well, lo and behold, don't I be mean, soft grappling right now. <laughs> okay, okay, well, okay. So that's uh, that's a uh, great that's a great question. Yes. I, I actually go. Yeah. So, so the <laughs> the idea of the the neutral space has something to do with the fact that Swiss as, modernism as makers. Yes, it's all. Let's just blame them. Yeah. Uh, it's so beautiful because um, it's not neutral. Garrett, <laughs> no, it's validating. Not. It is like um, it's got its value. It makes me think of the Kepish quote that we were talking about in some previous. I episodes. love his name, by the way, Georgi Kepish. Georgi Kepish. Dude, I love what Garrett says it too. It's so weird. Kepish. Georgi Kepish. Georgi Kepish. Um, he talks about the field. So you have the activity of the elements, the visual elements that you're putting on the surface. They have their own activity, but then he says their activity is bound up in the actual activity of the field that they're being laid mm -hmm. on, i.e. nothing's neutral. Yeah. So even the white cube is not neutral. The white cube is a... It's um, very non-neutral. You've been mm -hmm. to art school, anybody? It, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the least neutral thing in the world. It's an approximation. It's an attempt. <laughs> but correct me if I'm wrong, the, the whole goal of the neutrality is so that we can put the focus back on the objects that are being made and focus on the phenomenal. There's an assumption that the phenomenological effects of the art objects or art events, if it's performance, um, that's what we're trying to focus on when we take it into the white space. So we're trying to sort of engage with them as things unto themselves or maybe things unto the collection of other objects in the white spaces. Um, is that... True. Uh, we're I'm tracking, tracking with, with that. I'm tracking. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yep. Um, Keep going. And then our argument is that that neutral space doesn't actually exist. The field is actually a lot more active. Mm -hmm. And if we actually pull back and we're honest, we, we see that we're not making in the white space. We're not living our lives in the white space. The white space becomes an extremely arbitrary micro environment that we enter into and try to pretend that basically the world outside the white space doesn't exist. Mm. So then if that's something that we're going to double down on, mm -hmm. eventually we do have to move into the white space full time. We have to start building more of our world inside the white space, mm. which is where it makes sense that the internet becomes a... Uh, opportunity to do that because we can start evacuating the haptic feedback hmm. and we can start narrowing it down to, okay, I want to... A safe space. Yeah, I, I want to um, put forward a work 
in as neutral a space as possible. So that way only the effects of the work are present. And in order to continue to believe that we can do that, I actually have to personally move my whole mind and my being more into the space with that work to forget sort of the outside world. Yeah. And, I, and I continue think that's with a, the fiction. A, I would call that space deprivation and actually effect deprivation. So you, you acquire an appetite for a senseless experience. Mm-hmm. And, and then you become a sovereign in naming the effects and artifacts of the senseless experience is a purely conceptual act, but not something that, um, that is, uh, in a, if you, if you had to put an order to things and say there's primary experience in a, in a primary way, a first order event experience, uh, you, that's, that's completely short circuited. So then what you do is you, you call this sort of, uh, third tier, the first order and it reshuffles the deck. And, and now you have um, existential license to move further into that experience in the digital space, in, in the digital space and make it, make it hospitable. But you have, to suspend dis- you have to suspend disbelief and you have to suspend, you have to uh, deny um, your experience. So uh, put it another way, we're always coming back to this probably, so here's the ubiquity. It's the uh, volitional putting on of the matrix. Mm. Yeah, and... and, and- even beyond that, like one of the things that you mentioned earlier, Sam, was that with with placemaking, it's an anticipation of the other people coming into the spaces, mm-hmm. right? So it's the relational relational dynamic of it anticipates someone else with uh, ideas, thoughts, experiences, aesthetic preference, uh, expectation, relational expectations, whatever it may be, and relational rewards, I'll right? That. Yeah. yeah, and and with something like this, what we do when we move further into the white space, when we say these things aren't important or it's all neutral. When we do that, we're not just saying I am primary in terms of how I want to order this, uh, but also what we're saying is that anyone outside of me is actually nothing. Yes. Uh, I have no expectation for relationship, no expectation for conversation, no expectation for risk or reward. Um, I I literally have no expectation for existence. Which it's almost, almost sounds like... um, no expectation sounds like the epitome of open-endedness. It sounds like the epitome of invitation. Come as you are. I don't care. Any of you, all of you, please, please, please like my post or um, engage with my art. It's, it's, <laughs> Even if it's you're for boss everyone, and I paid for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> as it's, it's, I'm just pointing that out to say how sneaky it is to um, vacate to the white keep or vacate to the... Um, internet as like a primary or uh, singular arena for how you're thinking about the efficacy and communication and invitation of your work because it it lays out and promises that this is the way that you will be seen the most and being seen the most is the way to communicate and invite and relate the most and do so in the most rewarding way to you and other people Um, when instead it's like actually a denial of particularity where um, I can post pictures of my house um, all day long. And there are Instagrammers who do this and make lots of money and have lots of feedback. Um, but who, but they, none of those followers have eaten my meals <laughs> or, or can like the actual. Or smelled the smells of my house because everybody's got a, a smell to their house. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there's actually no way that the smell of my house can be communicated any other way than by that possibility being limited to the maybe eight people that can yeah. fit in it. Yeah. Like when you sit on my toilet seat and it's warm. 
<laughs> you, you don't get that on the internet. You can't get that. Yeah. And, and, and it, it goes back into you know, to maybe conversations that we've possibly in. like heard in the past too, about the difficulties of, you know, making with an abstract audience as if you don't have one. Yes. Um, which is crippling. <laughs> yeah. And possibly misleading. Which is, uh, which making. is what comes out of a lot of, um, grad school experiences. Mm. So I'm going to say this. Say I don't, it. I don't know, but I feel like this could be a shot from the bow. Like this could be our, um, seminal moment where we are putting our cards on the deck and saying that we stand for something, which means we don't stand for everything. How do you say that? What I'm saying is we're making it. If you track with what is being said, mm-hmm. This is a very particular view on humanity is implicated by the values expressed and the diminishing of other values. So, so what I'm saying is we are, there is a definitive or declarative implication in this conversation with regards to what a human is. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to chase it down too hard, but I'm saying, I feel like this might be one of those conversations that tracks with a couple others we've had that just, it just kind of comes out and says it. And and so, um, sorry for being cryptic. Humans are smell giving, smell receiving, sound giving, sound receiving. Physically embedded. Physically embedded, touch giving, touch receiving. We are physical beings mm-hmm. primarily mm-hmm. and thoroughly. And we are fully integrated into real space. And you have to assume a lie to believe that you are integrated into a digital space. Mm-hmm. And our loss of humanity in real space creates the false possibility of identifying as anything in digital space. Because there's no sensory consequence in that space to say you ought not be a, a wolf mm-hmm. or there's a no, meerkat. No touch. Objects. There's no no touch objects because there's, there's no touching. There's no touching. Yeah, you, there's, don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah, you, yeah. Thing away. you eviscerate. There's no responsibility over your impulses to live daily not touching. Hey, here's this one tree in your backyard garden. Mm-hmm. You can touch all the other flowers, but you can't touch that one. That one's going to make you feel real guilty, and it's going to do some things to you that are that are going to change you. But I think also on the other hand, if we if we look at things rightly <clears throat> in this whole like setting up um, a, a space, an environment in which you have like the no touch, touch sometimes can always touch. Touch of, myself. <laughs> when we set up those sort of uh, um, those uh, <laughs> gosh damn, what's average? Isn't that average? It doesn't matter. So anyway, uh, if <laughs> <laughs> some generation signaling happening right now. <laughs> no, it's, sorry. Anyway, so if. <laughs> No, it's a different song. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? No, so if we, if we set all those up, then then what happens is that we actually um, can embed even more meaning in the touch sometimes, touch all the time things. Yeah. Um, because if there is something that actually is off limits. Then it can be precious. It can be precious. And that could be and a that, meaningful experience. Right. And the preciousness, it extends beyond the single object because it provides a proximal relationship to everything else mm-hmm. within how that context functions. And it, and it frees you to be passive to some objects and active with others because that's the way the world is. Yes. There are things that we, we tune in and tune out the way that we're active and passive. So, so it means that we don't just tear everything apart when we have an, like, so my kids have a tantrum in my house. Mm-hmm. They learn to have a tantrum 
without breaking things. And then in that space, then they learn to not have tantrums. Yeah. So like they, they start with the idiocy of the tantrum, but their tantrum has no consequence on the home because we're kind of teaching them to be like, you don't just burn the house down because you didn't get what you wanted. Yeah. So, um, it starts the space itself works on such a way you start to feel a little silly. Mm -hmm. You start to see, uh, your lack of impact on the environment. Mm. Um, and in a, in a, truly safe space uh, before it gets into consequential space where, where the scales of economy are higher, like the, the consequence is greater for breaking somebody's stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but also like, this is a, this is preemptive to learning to care sensitively about the, uh, the, the material world. We talk about green space and we talk about, uh, caring for, uh, you know, the earth or whatever. Um, where do you start that? It starts where, where we're talking, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it makes us better able to, to like not go to the park and dump junk everywhere. This yeah. is just a cheap, easy way of saying it. Like you actually go to the trash can and put it there. Well, why did you know to do that? Well, the knowing isn't just in my head. It's actually, I had to do it repeatedly in my house. Mm-hmm. So it becomes more of a muscle memory ingrained experience, not just a mere moral or intellectual proposition yeah. that I can just sort of acknowledge and say, I don't care about that because your body cries out against you and says, eh, it's, you know, you got to do that. Like I, cause my parents were really conscientious about some things. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to miss the trash can and leave it. Oh yeah. I'll have yeah. to go pick it up and put it in the trash can. And it's not because I'm so awesome. It's partly because my parents grilled that into me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like my, the, the one that I, they didn't grill successfully is leaving a mess by the side of my bed. I'm sorry, Laura. <laughs> um, I try and I feel it. Yeah. But you, you know, um, we're at a precipice where we're losing all of this. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not an exaggeration. People are utterly lost. Mm. Yeah. I think the question that comes up at this point for me is, so we we have this conversation, we feel like we're kind of in in agreement on a few things, but then when we have this idea of hospitality be being uh, kind of a, a preparatory activity for that anticipates others in a relational sense, what goes into that? How how do we actually anticipate others, uh, especially if we're in a place where that hasn't been like part and parcel of our experience in life? Like, what are the things that help us? Like, how do we start building a matrix or a metric of how we understand? Like, what do you even look at for anticipating others? What the heck mm. does that even mean? How do I practice that if I don't have a, an example somewhere in my life showing me? Are you thinking more specifically in, um, yeah, I mean, we could talk tactics or we could just even be like, where do I start to think about tactically think about, um, show me the map, Sam, the home as the context or the gallery as the context or the studio as the context, just, just anywhere. anywhere. Cause I think the more we move into that neutral white space mm-hmm. of online ubiquitous, uh, dolmans, because the gallery can be home and still maintain the seriousness yeah. of gallery. And that's, yeah. That's something we've done at Shaco Art Space, I would argue. Yeah, we've had plenty of people come in and say, hey, it, this this feels like a hospitable space. I felt like I could actually bring my children in here. Mm-hmm. And their children weren't like running around grabbing paintings off the wall. Right? Yeah. They they were they were acting within the The one confine. time some parents did many years ago, they, they felt really weird and had to leave because they were like, every other kid's not doing that. Yeah. Um, and that's a good thing because right. it's giving them a recognition. But uh, but in the same breath, the, the person who comes has no experience with kids and they're, and they're like a serious artist and... Mm-hmm. They don't come in and feel diminished at all. That's yeah. what's interesting. Yes, is nothing was lost for the 
the the person who occupies a particular position that's not this other one. And the culture bifurcates. Our, culturally speaking, we often bifurcate those mm-hmm. when it comes to these kinds of dilemmas. In order to have this, we got to eliminate everything else. Right. Because the, the art's got to speak. And it's like, well, um, art will lose almost every time to a kid. Yep. Uh, because art and kids are not the same thing. Right. So once you understand, yeah, once you understand that people are more important than objects, um, then you can understand the importance of objects. Yes. But if you're unwilling to, I said, once you understand that, uh, people are more important than objects, then you can understand the importance of objects. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So then that reveals then inversely the failure of like forgetting our physicality or forgetting objects, forgetting place. Um, in whatever way we do it, um, actually reflects on a lack of care for people. Yes. Actually um, reveals a lack of hospitality fundamentally in our orientation. Our spaces will reflect that. Mm -hmm. Um, They won't be habitable, (laughs) let alone hospitable um, for embodied kinds of beings. Um, Many cities cities in America. Many cities, oh my goodness. uh, Reflect exactly what you just said. Right. Just think about how the first thing we did with social media was flatten the idea of Curve. a person into an image and some text and mm-hmm. curate it in a white space like an object. Mm-hmm. So when we forget the importance of people, we actually start treating them like objects mm-hmm. and then lose any perspective on the relationship between people and objects. Right. So then we can't even rightly discern the importance of an object. Right. So, yeah. So Correct. People become objects. All this gets gets uh, out of whack. So then to answer your question, like, how do we actually pursue hospitality? Um, I think a first question certainly is, do you actually care about your audience? Like, do you know who they are and do you care about them? Whoa. And in the home, I mean, your that's neighbor, like, you mean? Like, yes. Like your yeah. neighbor, like maybe wait, wait, anybody like anybody or just like, like one anybody person? or. No, like the actual people that you know oh, okay. first. Okay. In starting with people you know first. Starting with people okay, you know first. Fair. And, you know, that, that that becomes convictional, like in your household, for instance, mm-hmm. if I'm um, like, I really, really, really want my house to be clean and that makes me hate my children. Like actually the house is for my children and it even being clean is for them. So yes. putting it's those things them. out of whack. It's for them to dirty it's for them to in dirty. the form of play, yes. fun learning uh-huh. for the ends of becoming a, a human who flourishes society. Yes. Once those are tied together, then your work becomes sort of anointed and significant. So just to, before we go to it, so everybody who feels bad about like, or feels diminished because you work in the home, that is a lie the culture has said for so long that there's a vacancy that is being felt in so many different ways. And I'm saying to reclaim the significance of, you know, Laura and I for years have talked about this. That's why we moved into the neighborhood we did is it's significant to take on the task of doing just the thing we're talking about for the good of society, which means we won't see the benefits we have, but we can believe in the work. We can trust in the trajectory, but I'm not going to be on the receiving end of the fruitfulness of digging in and pouring into not just our kids, but any, anybody who comes into our home. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're going to legacy extend past us. And that's the same with Shaco. It's the same with everything we try to do to the best of our ability. But um, yeah. And that, that will then extend to art making as well. Like, do you resent your audience that you do or don't have mm-hmm. or not think about them? 
um, consider them an obstacle or that someone that you just need to find in a way that fits what you already are yeah. making. And this kind of servitude, this actual self-giving um, love in the form of making um, is simultaneously not for other people, but not determined by what they want. So it's not the same thing as being servile or selling out, um, which is often what people can assume. If yeah. I think about my audience at all, yeah, and I'm yeah, just yeah. going to make what they it, want. Yeah. <laughs> well, so. see, it's selling out on the pretense of, um, so like, it's funny. So when you have the uh, idea that my I make, you, okay, so you have your, it's plain, it's double speak. Grad school, double speak. Here's why I make what I make out the right side of my mouth. My work is about the um, idea of, you know, the the slippage between this historical idea and uh, this modernist expression that's been turned on its head and is now being worn out by its own ideology. And then what your other side of your mouth says, I need as many people as I can to like this. And I really need to hopscotch to those uh, people in Brooklyn because they know a guy and has a gallery and so-and-so writes about that. And if so-and-so writes about my work, then it'll get into a show in LA. And if I can get that show in LA, this is all going to total in me being really important and confirming my suspicion that I'm awesome. Mm -hmm. And so, so you double speak it, right? So, um, and so the convenience of getting online is like, you just get likes. So you don't got to do all the extra legwork to get what you want. The problem is, um, cause you will find your audience because you, you will online. find your audience. Yes. Right. Right. Um, and you have no responsibility to your work in that sense because it's purely about getting likes. Right. So the conversation we're having is so antithetical to that premise that um, you have to rethink your life. <laughs> um, Wait, is this a rethink episode? Yeah, it's an embedded rethink. <laughs> so it's a Got micro em. rethink in the <laughs> problem is we could have just called Chuck or speak rethink and yeah. it would have worked. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh so, cause you were going to where I just lost my train of thought. You were going to say, gosh, I had a, I had a, a drop off point for this. Um, if you can just, do you recall what you were saying right before I opened my blabbering mouth? It's okay. If you can. never asked me to do that. <laughs> so know, we were talking about grad school, double speak, resenting prior to grad school. That you do or don't prior to have. Okay. Resenting. Is that what Sam was saying about resenting audiences? Yeah, um, resenting an audience, trying to find the one for what you're already. Making. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so um, the orientation is towards self. Right. It's self-centered, and and self-centeredness is also the um, the motivation lurking behind the person who sells out, who seems to be all for exactly, their audience, exactly. but only because they want a guaranteed return on their, uh, their appreciation. Right. So in, 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 in both of that, the assumption, the, the confirmation is like, I need to be affirmed as, as self-important. And we have a, a, just enough of a moral compass to not always want to say that out loud. But I will say to you this, we're at a point where people are saying the quiet part out loud all the time mm -hmm. and writing songs about it. And I've never seen, I've never seen a single person who loves themselves so much that they don't need someone else to approve how much they're loving themselves or that they love themselves so much. It draws others in. So they act So they, yeah. So they act like I don't need anybody. Right. But you had to say that to other people, to other people. And I need you to affirm that I don't need and you. Yeah. And I need you to amen. <laughs> and here's the other thing. When I say to you, Hey, I think, I think, I think um, maybe your life is a wreck. You know, like things are going really haywire. 
here's some thought. Like, Hey, I, I know some people that are doing that pretty well. Like you should think about talking to so-and-so whatever. And what you do is you, you try to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, but it's never enough. So then you go cry to several of, uh, of, of your sympathizers who will sympathize with you and say, Hey, you go like, it's okay. Like, and it enable you to be like, yeah, I'm strong. I love myself. And it's like online with no experience, no weight, no matter, nothing but mental, um, agitation or anxiety or uh, euphoria and you settle for that. Um, that is a, a kind of profound cultural impotency mm-hmm. that is actually um, bottoming out society. You can't, <laughs> what we're building will not stand um, unless we start to have the kind of humble recognition I think you're suggesting, Sam, as far as not being hostile towards your audience. And that's why I like the idea of enjoining audience and neighbor together mm-hmm. uh, as a way of acknowledging both, but saying that neighbor is like, oh, I live, I live by you. You know, even if you're miles away, hours away, we, we are neighbors in that sense. Mm-hmm. And um, that requires a kind of relational activity for me that sees your humanity and wants to see it flourish better or, or not uh, unravel. Mm-hmm. That means I got thoughts. I'm not uh, neutral on the matter, you know? Um, therefore, like when you come into my house, um, yeah, you're not going to see certain things in my house. Mm-hmm. There's certain, certain images you're not going to ever see in my house uh, because I want to make sure that kids can come in. Now, there may be images that certain people feel challenged by because their experience is so limited that, that, that this is outside of their realm, but then that might be useful if I'm willing to meet them where they're at, love yeah. them well and have conversation and bear with them. And still care for and their still needs. care for their needs. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah, you provide sort of a a foundational level of hospitality that like the house has seats in it. You know, there's yeah. there's all these pre those moments where there might be trial or difficulty, um, because maybe someone is grappling with an image that's on your wall that they're not mm-hmm. used to seeing is going to be set in the context of a home that in a much broader sense is enabling people to sit on comfortable seats and have a cool drink and eat a meal on a table. Correct. Um, so you're not trying to like yank someone into... You have to comply with and and submit and affirm that these images that I have on my wall in order to be in my house. It's like, you're already here because I love you. And that's the, like the content. Yeah. Or I just think about the difference, you know, the difference between like me as someone who was not raised with a lot of um, modern art or contemporary art at all. So my whole initial exposure to the idea that these works were valid was actually through relationship with people and starting to see it in their homes, mm-hmm. not getting yanked to a museum mm-hmm. or a white cube gallery and getting a talking down to mm-hmm. about why I was wrong or right. That's big. Um, and now my perspective's you know, largely changed. So what happens now when you go to a, a white cube space or a museum? Now I actually, from can, that, I can engage with those images. Is that interesting? And yeah. That space yep. is probably humanized because your connection comes to the humans instead of through some like That's uh, exactly right. neutral object oriented institutional, institutional elitism. Yeah. Oh, that's what I was getting. Yeah. 
That's the term <laughs> for that thing I just said. <laughs> institutional elitism. Institutional elitism. Object-oriented bullcrap. How could, <laughs> how could yeah, Gareth forget that phrase? <laughs> My bad, guys. Sorry, buddy, out there. Dr. Snacksmell is just being kind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big burrito for lunch. Brain's gone on vacation. <laughs> institutional elitism. Institutional elitism. <laughs> that prioritizes objects over humans. Isn't that something? That's very I've totalitarian and very oppressive, yes. by the way. So oh, this man. will all reconfigure, <laughs> again, your metrics for efficacy and hospitality and actually loving your neighbor through your art. Um, because then you won't consider it a loss when the gallery denies you and all you have time for in a year is to make one painting, but that you know will actually be in the house of one of your friends and all of your other friends will always see it because yeah. it'll be there forever. Um, and then it will like, literally create generations of people who have been haptically trained uh, to, to be comfortable being around contemporary art. Yeah. And be enriched by it. Right. Like, yeah. yeah, like, you know, and, and start with, I, I, you know, I just keep thinking like, you know, we've read somewhere, someone wrote, you know, like, Hey, there's a difference. I can just Cal Cerville or someone else, but you know, there's a difference between giving someone, um, you got some people over, and instead of pulling up chairs, you pull up lawn chairs to eat dinner at the dinner table. Yeah. And then you serve them coffee in a thumb cup. Mm-hmm. If that's the best you're working with, it will be received yeah. with a certain level of respect. Like if that's what you have, mm-hmm. I've been in those times, it, it actually will mean a whole bunch because it comes from you and it, you're bringing the best you got. You with me? Yeah. But if that's not the best that you've got. And it's and obvious. And it's obvious <laughs> and you got like great mugs. Man, there's a diff- There's a, hey, ceramicist know this there's a difference between mugs laura has a mug from this farm that when i hold it it sits in my hand with a kind of weightiness to it Mm -hmm. that enhances my experience of drinking coffee if i want to love someone a stranger bring out the bring out the fine stuff bring out the weighty stuff make the table nice like uh you know yeah don't save the good wine for the listen i love anytime someone sorry vegan friends but i love even if it's grilled veggies, I love when people barbecue. You know why? Because even if I can't eat with them, I can, <sighs> I can take it in and know, hey, someone is getting together today and they are having a meal, yeah. and I share in that and delight in that prospect or proposition that's coming through the aroma. If you build a night, if you, I keep thinking about strawberry pie, strawberry rhubarb pie, can't shake it. But make that pie and open the window and let the let the smell go through. Like mm-hmm. let people share it. Like share share that. So then someone else goes. I am aroused to go do the same thing right now. And I'm about to bless my family with it. Like, like open your homes, keep your windows open for a time. I mean, I know we got to think about safety and stuff, but like keep the shades up. Uh, let people see you living. Like yeah. let someone walk down your street and glance the, the abstract painting in your house. Um, uh, those kinds of livable propositions and experiences will do exactly what Cody you just said, which I think is it, it starts to cycle the life of the ecosystem in, in a way that actually works. The, the filters are cleaned and things starts to work and all of a sudden new possibility generates. That's the generativity piece. Mm-hmm. But uh, when there are uh, dividing walls of hostility that are, are raised in areas, it, it, it siphons things off. There's no metaphorical airflow and things get stale. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we overcompensate from our position. So the person who never looks at art overcompensates from their, their lack of experience and they're um, flinching at uh, institutional elitism who flexes even harder mm-hmm. and, and has to put stuff on the side of their building. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's very true. Yep. And I just want to sort of double click on that idea. Hospitality 
we can't forget that it is so much bound up in how a person is relating to other persons Mm -hmm. because it can feel burdensome if you're like, okay, well, I've got like a 500 square foot apartment and I have a lot of difficulty having people over and I don't have a lot of money. Um, But maybe you should get your home together. Mm-hmm. So there's there's that, but there's also like you're not going to solve any of this just by going out and buying a bunch of stuff, a la no, Target, right. yeah. anything like that. Like it it does start with a a human disposition towards a desire to have a type of relationship with another human, mm-hmm. which by itself can go a very long way to create a sense of hospitality, right? In the sense of the paper cups and the the folding tables, like. There's a difference between someone who's inviting you over who desires to be hospitable with the folding chairs and the paper cups and someone who doesn't want you to come over and has all the same things. Yes. Yeah. So the there is a um it's it's we live in a time and I dude, I struggle with this so much where it's like you see a problem and you're like, I need to go find something to consume to solve this problem. Mm. Let me yeah, solve this by buying something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, uh, like a burrito or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Or there's there's a, a quote that I love from that I heard on another, another podcast where it was middle class people love to try to solve their problems by buying things. Yeah. Buying and things is fun. It's, <laughs> it's, a lot of fun. it's really fun. And it's easy. It's, it's just easy. Like it's easy to say, I have a need. I'm going to conceptualize this need, whether or not that needs being hospitable yeah. or going doing something. And then you go research a bunch. Right it's like candy. Um, <laughs> just like that was good. Let's do it again. Yeah, that was good. Let's do it again. No, that's a really good point, Cody. But Keep going. it just and it points back to the unique thing that there actually is something about humans mm-hmm. that is different from other things in the world. Yes, that hospitality flows actually from humans to other humans. Correct. And then the stewardship of what you do have as a human is is the the material that you're using to exercise that hospitality. Yeah, it has manifold implications for everything else uh, yeah. that is sub, subject to this kind of um, uh, hierarchy, mm-hmm. this ordering. And and um, what you said is really really perceptive as far as um, defaulting to consumption because um, that's it's really important to note that that's not what you're what we're saying what what i would you know and i heard someone else way smarter than me say something along these lines so i'm paraphrasing here um is uh our sh- okay come back to my sort of uh super simple three categories of, of just saying like organizing your home for kids there's much more that you can accordion that out there's a lot more to that right but one of the goals in that is and i tell my kids this all the time uh, is the goal is to safely see you into adulthood so that you can become productive. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can become a, a significant, humble citizen. Um, and so in, in assumed in that is responsibility taking that's always a little heavier than you can handle mm-hmm. so that you have something to work towards. So um, that means, that means uh, the weightiness of what's ahead of you is, is serious enough that you got to be serious about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you got a 500 square foot apartment. There's free stuff online all the time. 
you know, you, you got a junky couch, clean it. That's all. All I'm saying is take responsibility for what you've been given. Cause that's when you'll get more yep. mm-hmm. right. Or you, maybe it will be that you don't need more and it'll be, this space is really ha- habitable with the things you have and it's, it's meek and humble and you seem very content in this space. And that's a blessing to me because I'm allowed to come here and rest with you mm-hmm. because of your restedness. But here we are, which is, this is the part that I was going to say. Someone else said smarter than me is, um, we don't, and I felt very in, in, uh, convicted by this, is adults are so avoidant of being an adult that we don't even dress seriously. Mm-hmm. We don't take ourselves seriously at all. So we don't dress seriously. We don't, we don't address like adults. Adults, we avoid it actually. Mm-hmm. And so, and in fact, we move inversely away from it so that our very image and likeness tells everyone, I don't take responsibility for anything. I had a it's, hard time finding a button down shirt at Target the other day for my husband. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, and you have people working ironically very hard to not look like an adult mm-hmm. and they work really hard to make sure that their homes don't look like adults live there because somehow being adult and taking responsibility and doing substantial things, uh, has been demonized. And the question is why it's a whole other discussion, but think about that. When, when do you see adults? really looking like adults. And when they do, uh, they get mocked. But if you come looking like chaos, uh, that's where the cultural capital is. And as a home that, uh, growing up, that really was a, uh, precursor to that. I can tell you it's overrated. It doesn't work. It's, it's, uh, it's avoiding the inevitable. Mm-hmm. And so when you yourself are, are inhospitable and all you can do is commingle with others that are inhospitable like you, and then you are all disgruntled together, um, nothing gets built from that and there's no joy in it and you won't find it. Um, and it'll be reflected in your space. I mean, it just will, you know, it just will. Um, uh, you, it's, it's in the, our culture is, is uh, perpetual restless leg syndrome. Hmm. We just can't stop moving. Uh, we can't stay in one place very long. Uh, we can't stay in one job very long. Uh, it's always somebody else's fault. Mm-hmm. Um, I never have enough if I just had this, then this. And so if you start to look at a very destabilized society, the arts typically don't go well in destabilized societies. Mm -mm. Actually, what you see in destabilized societies is really thin political art. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's sort of the death. uh, There's an aesthetic thinness that retreats to um, expedient, urgent, shallow aesthetic expressions Mm -hmm. that are really political um, crying for someone else to do for, for us, what we can't do for ourselves. Now, sometimes that's unfortunate because people are being oppressed, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm making a broad statement about, um, the way societies die. And so if you're looking at, uh, where we're at, you know, we're even reading a book right now where they include a definition that talks about the arts as really being like, you know, uh, for marginalized folks. And it's like, well, if you got a very narrow view of the arts, I mean, the arts for everybody, mm-hmm. uh, therefore they're, they're employable and for, uh, those that are marginalized. Yeah. Or we would understand that a way that you can marginalize a group of people is by to deny them something that is for everyone. That's right. That's right. And, and then it, and it doesn't change. It doesn't get at the heart of the problem mm-hmm. by doing that semantically. So, um, what, you know, I think everybody needs to clean their room and, you know, take care of yourself and like, uh, get a job and stay with it and 
start to pay bills and, and, um, and learn rhythms of steadiness. And those rhythms of steadiness, I think actually help with, uh, being steady in your studio practice, being faithful in the studio practice. And those rhythms can start to build the basis for being hospitable. And actually hospitality, I think is towards the ends of flourishing future generations. So it's a proposition for how society should go forward. Mm -hmm. From my, from my perspective, what would you, what would you throw, uh, in, into that summary, Sam, or like, what would you push back or, or would you go from there? How do we want to close this out? I think that's pretty succinct uh, in the way that like you've said quite a few particular things. Um, but that's actually, uh, generative and encouraging. Um, uh, especially too, for how, um, it free, it frees you up as a maker, um, as well. Like when you're not crippled by how am I going to be validated, then you're actually able to just offer well to your neighbor, according to what you have, according to your skills, according to your passion, according to your conviction for what matters, um, and take whatever uh, outcome that has, it, it frees you up to not be, um, like, burdened or resentful of the parts of art making that, um, don't immediately receive recognition. So a lot of, a lot of studio practice is like doing the dishes every single day. Yes. And, um, from what we've said, actually doing dishes and cleaning your room and making bed builds society in ways that arguing online or, (laughs) you know, being a popular Instagrammer doesn't do. Correct. Um, that's massively freeing. Yes, it <laughs> is. All of us have dishes to wash, mm-hmm. even if we don't have large audiences. Yeah, the person yeah. who who somehow knows how to run a country, but can't brush her teeth—that's an amazing discrepancy. It is. Like they can't do the dishes. Uh, when Laura met me, uh, Laura's got to be like when Laura met me and we very first started dating. Like she came into my <laughs> my apartment, and my apartment was. Uh, like what I've been saying today is I'm yelling at myself 20 something years ago <laughs> and saying, get it together, you idiot. Uh, because I got, she came in the house and it was like moldy plates. She's like, Oh my gosh, you know, you could clean that. Right. And I was like, huh? <laughs> really? Like what? Don't have to buy new plates. Gonna two buy weeks. New plates? Yeah. So, so, I mean, you know, Laura's been a catalyst as far as, um, she's master at, um, intuiting what needs to be made right. That is constantly being messed with mm-hmm. she's living in the home and she's great at it and um uh, and i am not but i'm getting better so um shoot i forget where i was going with that what did you last say i was saying it's free yeah so so it, it's it's um it's free to, to do what you can with what you have for someone other than you right so so me learning to do that honestly take responsibility had crossover into the way my studio practice started to change. Mm -hmm. It also started to mount and build towards how, uh, even like shockle art space started and what are the aesthetic expectations for shockle arts? Like, like what is, what is the tangible stuff that leaves our place look like? How do we set up a, a booth at a current art fair? Like, like orderliness in one place or aesthetic relationalness towards the ends of ordered well, uh, in one zone that you live in allows you to acquire haptic knowledge that's informs you about other spaces you'll be forming. And so I've literally experienced that. Like I am better because I am married to my wife right. who is very excellent right. at these things. Yes. It, it, you know, so uh, your wife helping you build a home 
actually helps you build an art institution. Correct. Like, you know, <laughs> as, as, as partners in the, in the endeavor. Absolutely. Cause yes. in, and that's, that's a statement of who's gifted in which way. Mm-hmm. And she happens to be gifted that way. And then I've assisted her at, at, at you know, might say like being more imaginative about certain things. Mm-hmm. And so there's a way in which we've uh, mutually enhanced each other towards the same ends. And, uh, but, but I can say that with confidence and not speculation. Whereas if you'd asked me a few years into being mayor, I could speculated and said, oh yeah, it's gonna connect over here. But I'm looking back and saying, oh my gosh, more than I think I've ever realized, absolutely, uh, this is um, uh, in, impacted a lot of what I do. Now I still like to make, I still have to function in a certain amount of mess in my studio. Like I, ha- I just, that's the way I operate creatively. And so, but it's contained. It's my garage is messy, you know, for the most part. But the majority of my home is, is pretty order, ordered, you know. Uh, so, so there's a ratio. Like I've contained it to where it's optimal for me in a certain sense to be working intuitively. Mm-hmm. But that is not the habitability zone for the average person off the street who comes into our house, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, I had a conversation with a friend a few, it was a couple months ago at this point. And we were just hanging out talking. And one idea after another just kind of popped off and they were, they were dumb and we were laughing and it was, uh, you know, and the question came up and I was like, yeah, I think I'd actually like to see that thing happen. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, you know, it'd probably just be something for my kids. And I was like, well, it's good enough for them. It's good enough for everybody else. Yeah. Cause they're the ones you know the most and you care the most about. Yeah. There's a, there's a proximal relational like imperative there. Yeah. And that does a lot. Yeah. And so like within that space, um, how how that object operates is going to have the maybe more truthful weight mm-hmm. that an object should, right? Um, that could then play out outside of the home. Yeah. But I don't know if it works the other way around. I don't know if you like have some imaginary audience that then it brings in and somehow trickles down to then be important to your immediate surroundings. Yeah. And I, But I think the first thing that we do is we throw out some of those those relationships and we're like, Oh, you're, you're proximal to me. So that means maybe you aren't going to be able to help so much of this, which is just well, a we stupid wanna, idea. We want to throw out givens. Yeah. Because they're not gifts, they're restraints and restraints, the opposite of creativity. And well, we've talked about that before, mm. but Oh, what if they're the starting place? Maybe we actually help somebody and are happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's yeah. interesting too, because, because the, the way, so when there's a vacuum of, of, relatedness to people mm-hmm. that is has to be filled uh, one way or the other because one given is humans are relational mm-hmm. that's a given so we're either going to relate well or not well mm-hmm. we're so um, to ourselves and each other and so uh, what you're seeing right now is a, a lack of resources relational resources that are typically um, uh they're, they're within us, you know, the relational categories that are within us. Um, and so what you get is a lot of image affirmation and sexualizing. Mm-hmm. So I'm being serious, like, like Zelensky, the amount of people that were like, I want to sleep with Zelensky, you know, mm-hmm. if we're taking everything at face value, the man's in a war. Yeah. Probably and the way you're expressing admiration is to say, I want to sleep with him. I want to have sex. Like, we're, we've 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 been narrowed. We've been reduced to such a shell that we, a man, like oh you go girl, 
you look so good on this image. I don't know if I want to date you or like we only got a couple categories for valuing each other. And they're mostly yeah. just uh, self gratification through the uh, uh, sexualized expressive acts. So our, our, uh, and, and that's interesting to me. And the reason why I bring it up is because uh, a lot of that kind of urge is still um, strongly bound up in humans. And so as much as you eviscerate, it's still kind of there. You can kind of tune it down if you want. But the idea that the only way we can express gratitude is, is that way, I think comes from the, vac- the vacating of the fullness of, of what a human is operating in full spaces where you're, you, you, you learn what is to touch and what is not to touch, mm-hmm. uh, how to properly admire something. Uh, without actually being like, I need to sleep, but I need to hump this. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> you know, like you no, well, we don't hump everything. Like, well, it's also interesting. Cause if you, if you take a child and you put them into a gigantic empty room, that's been vacated of everything. What's the, one of the first things they're going to do. They're not going to find a nice spot and make a place and kind of live in a nice way. They're going to scream. Yeah. The first thing they're going to scream because they're going to hear it scream back at them. Yeah. They're, they're going to need to have the ultimate kind of experience within that space because everything else has been taken away. Mm-hmm. The context of it is the void. Mm-hmm. And so you scream to hear the echo to just reinforce the emptiness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of, um, as you take away the things that build up the fullness of relationships of, of the objects of our relationships to the objects, all you get to do, all you're left doing is just screaming yeah. at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Instagram, it, like for for instance, comments, they don't require anything from you. No. They don't require anything. So when you got 50 million people liking your post, it it didn't require anything from them of value. Only my time and attention. And I know that when I say that, when I've been scrolling enough that my dishes have piled up. <laughs> like, yes, of to course. To the exclusion of the actual things that I could sure. be doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Only is, your time and attention. It does. It, that it's is, a, it's is not interesting. Yeah. To, because that time and attention, I think you, you touched on something there, Sam. It is time and attention that could have gone to other things and now has not been. Yeah. Right. So now I have not related to somebody else in a significant way. There's almost no positive value in a like, but there's actually a lot of negative value from the time that was taken to scroll and, and like and do that in a large you know volume because you know you go through you consume images every two seconds three seconds yeah I do and then that that leaves a, a void or a negation into all those other zones of real life that are now um, not flourishing they're not even being static they're actively declining that's right um, that's the big so the whole like idea of like the attention economy it's like attention from what to what. Mm-hmm. And then once we've taken that attention to something that has I'm not going to say it has no effect because certainly we're seeing it does but it's such a thin expression of, of human interactions or it has such a uh, like neutered possibility for what it can do. Mm-hmm. Then it just leaves this wake of destruction behind um, or a a wake of, of non cultivation. Yeah. It's, it's the wake of, of the absence of what could have been and the diminishing returns of our action oftentimes operate in our blind spots. So we, we actually don't feel it. We don't know it's happening, especially when we're self-centered. So the absent father is of um, 
a felt presence in the room of a home is is you there's actually no way um what's not on the table is your effect like what's not off the table is your effect yeah. either way you are affecting the situation mm-hmm. there's no neutrality your absence is an effect your presence is an effect so then it becomes an ethical moral uh spiritual cultural like uh, you 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 can't get out from uh uh the real questions uh, that um, nature will hit you in the face with at a minimum. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll you'll starve. Your your emotions will wither. I mean, uh, we talk about emotional health being at an all time. I don't want to go into this, but it's so uh, significant. And you see that. I, I would say I would love to just go deep into all the statistics on fatherlessness. It's just one example that actually is influencing the state of affairs. The absence of. Uh, strong families um, actually loving each other and working through difficulty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not, not assuming a Stepford dynamic, but saying you know, real emotional range, real um, aims, real goals, real directions, and uh, stewardship over families is to steward culture uh, towards particular ends that are, are better for everybody. And uh, that is just falling apart. And so you have you have tantrums in the streets. You have people having tantrums on social media. There's nothing habitable about it, let alone hospitable. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all this is not to say again that there's no such thing as a kind of appropriate and fitting um, relational dynamic and invitational hospitality through um, online forms. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're, we're posting this totally. We're on online. Instagram. Um, I just posted yesterday, so I'm, I'm completely not. Yes. Yeah. So what the warning is then is just what is, if you're not reflective, what will be assumed, which is that um, that kind of relationship is uh, inclusive, like totally inclusive or actually addresses like a full human experience. Yeah, because we have to be honest and understand that um, social media didn't fall out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Like a society with values invented it. And then used it according to what the obvious or not obvious values of that society were, our mm-hmm. society. So the, we can assume that the seeds were sown for a lot of what we're seeing now, that social media has given avenues of opportunity to expose. But the society was working through the ideas and starting to imbibe the ideas and the practices and the values long before we had social media Mm -hmm. to just express it through. Mm -hmm. So then we both had the motivation to create something like social media and the motivation to use social media the way we use it Mm -hmm. as a sort of finalizing, okay, now we're seeing the fruit of values that we've maybe been holding for 50 years, 60, 100. Yeah. Yep. So what, you got any closing thoughts on, on, I don't think we, I don't even think we talked about all of it. You got any other? We uh, talked about a lot more than lot. I thought we would. Okay. It was very good. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm, I feel safe. Okay. Ending it. Okay. <laughs> Great. Well, hey, what yeah, do we always the, say? As we always say, you are a fantastic audience. We do, do love you. Thanks uh, for coming on, Sam. Thank yeah. you so much, Sam, for coming on. And we Sorry, we forgot to say that. Yeah. In the next episode. Peace. Later. Bye. Bye, buddy. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.